Welcome to Micromobility, a podcast exploring the disruptive potential of small electric vehicles. We cover the best companies building these amazing new vehicles, as well as topics relevant to how they impact people, cities, and our planet. My name is Oliver Bruce, an investor in mobility and climate tech, and my co-host is Horace Deju, founder of Asimco.com and Micromobility Industries. Hey team, Oliver here. This week, I interview Stefan Idderborn, founder and CEO of Cake Motorcycles from Sweden. They have emerged as one of the world's leading e-motorbike manufacturers, solidly occupying the premium end of the market with a very Scandinavian sort of design flair and a strong focus on the commuters as well as backcountry use cases. I had a chance to ride some of these bikes around Santa Monica when I was doing a tour of Southern California, and I was really impressed with the pickup and handling of these bikes, especially for someone who's newish to motorbikes like me. In this episode, we dig into the history and how they decided to get into this, as well as design, funding, and their recent deals with producers in both Asia and Mexico. I found this a super interesting episode, and I hope that you do too. I'm in Amsterdam right now with the whole team for Micromobility Europe, hosting the Startup Awards. We have over 60 companies presenting and vying for the top spot. There's so many amazing vehicles and people around. I'm really looking forward to sharing more of what I found in time. Also, I'm going to be at Eurobike in Frankfurt from the 21st to the 24th of June, so please ping me a message on Twitter if you're going to be there too and want to meet up. And with that, here's Stefan. Let's go. And welcome back to Micromobility. We have with us today Stefan Itterborn, the founder and CEO of Cake Motorbikes. And uh, Stefan, it is such a pleasure to have you on. I've wanted to have you on for a very long time. Thank you so much. I'm excited. Yeah. Well, uh, so am I. I, I think uh, this, uh, you know, you have really come, it feels sort of out of nowhere. Uh, it, it's one of these very funny things because obviously I cover the world of micromobility. I'm looking at a lot of lightweight electric vehicles. And I first saw your bikes and I think, wow, these are like beautifully designed, sw- you know, Swedish design, Scandinavian design. It's, it's, uh, it's stunning. And then all of a sudden you're like, you're out there making waves, doing all these really big deals and I, you know, it, it's been so wonderful to watch this journey and just see how you've really taken off from these what, what felt like humble beginnings in Sweden. So I thought maybe what we could do is, do we want to start back in the the early days? I know you didn't actually start in this. Uh, you didn't start with electric motorbikes. You started with something else. I'd love to hear that story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, basically, you know, I, I'm getting old these days. You know, I, I don't realize it uh, myself, but I've been around for 40 years and Basically, what, what happened in the beginning of my career, I had two itchy feet. So so the academic side of, of things was not really my path. So I had started my first company when I was 19 years old. And back then, it was all about importing contemporary design from mainly Central Europe, Italy, France, Spain, and so forth, on the kind of interior design, you know, decoration side of things. Wow. Okay. And, uh, you know, started my first, you know, company back then. And uh, that was a time... When you know, and I was heavily into contemporary, you know, innovative, you know, design in that sense, and and and, and you know, created a, a I'd say a, a cluster community of of you know, same age uh, designers from around the world. Anything from you know, uh, guys like Mark Newson, Australian, next to you guys, uh, to the you know, the Jasper Morrisons, and 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 you know, the the, the big dudes uh, that have become you know, uh, I'd say leading designers of the world later on. Anyhow, we were a young bunch of, of kids playing around in, in Milan at the furniture show. And kind of, you know, from there, I, I, I got more and more into design, 
more from a business tool and a, a strategic asset rather than just you know looking at whatever is uh, you know nice or not nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and from there, I, I, I you know I went on, uh, became a consultant for a number of years, actually. You know, positioned IKEA as a uh, you know obligated responsible design company aside from aside from just you know uh, being available and 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 packing flat packages and 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 you know supporting rational distribution and whatnot. A big success that was launched back in Milan in, in 1995, uh, and from there I did a lot of consultancy within that same space. I'd say, and then I got to a point where I kind of you know. I've always wanted to contribute with purpose in whatever I'm doing. So I left that and started my company, my next company, a company named POC, which is a company that had the mission of saving lives and reducing consequences of accidents for gravity sports athletes, mm-hmm. developing you know more accurate protection. So anything from skiing and snowboard helmets to cycling helmets and associated you know, uh, protection. Did that for a number of years. Uh, established a 10% market share globally pretty much in 10 years mm-hmm. and uh, sold the company for different reasons, uh, not really to make an exit, but, you know, to potentially, you know, create the firmer growth to some extent together with other partners. Anyhow, that uh, turned out. And just just yeah. the one the one joyous piece in this is POC. What does POC stand for? It stands for piece of cake. So uh, <laughs> yes, looking looking at the the the, the logotype of, of POC is it's like a one of those symbols that is being used by by uh, crash test dummies. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a cross in a circle. Yes, uh, and we wanted to use that 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 symbol for a company like POC, um, but I didn't know what, what to name it. And one morning in my car, I was just you know I was looking at it from above somehow in my mind, and it looks like piece of cake and piece of cake fun saying. So you know the piece. And the old and this cake POC became yep. punk. Yep. So that that was that story, and, and I sold the company uh, actually twice, but that's another story. And uh, during the the, the the last couple of years uh, with POC, I just randomly ran into electric motorbikes, and it, it was uh, we were showing at the Expo show in, in Munich, which is the big European sports show. Mm-hmm. And I ran an electric motorbike for the first time, and I'm like, wow, this is cool. Being able to get out in the back country without disturbing or without polluting, I need to have one. So I got one bike. Actually, I had like, you know, 12 or 15 electric motorbikes early stage. Wow. My country house. And, uh, you know, that's how it all started. And I was totally, you know, no intention of starting a business. I was totally blown away. I had friends riding these bikes, anything from, you know, MX superstars to young women never ever you know, dared, you know, riding a, a, a motorbike, you know, before due to noise and com- complexity of, you know, clutching and changing gears and whatnot. Yeah. So this pretty much being the opposite, uh, I, I had young, you know, women coming back to me after, you know, having tried for the first time and sliding in front of me with, with the biggest smile saying, it's the most amazing thing I've done. And certain thing happened and I came to realize that this, this the, the electrification of things will actually... Uh, you know, pretty much uh, swift or completely change uh, the the I'd say the future of two wheel transportation, and uh, so that's pretty much where I began to get into business and with the uh, perspective of actually doing something different because the majority of the electric motorcycles still I'd say are being developed by guys from the gasoline uh, you know. Space. And what they tried to do is to replicate the character of a uh, combustion engine motorbike, but with an electric motor. But I'd say that my finding was that this is a totally different beast. You need to treat it differently. You need to to create a chassis that actually, you know, 
um, which is, is perfectly aligned with the character of the electric drivetrain when it comes to and geometry and kinematics and what's up and whatnot. So that's how it started. And suddenly I was like, oh, I have to start a business because I had come so far in my kind of thinking in terms of what could be done, what the change in the market would be, how I could, you know, potentially accelerate and inspire the market towards a faster, you know, transition from combustion to electric and whatnot for the sake of the climate. And that's how everything came together. And in 2016, I left uh, POC uh, and, uh, you know, pretty much a month later, I was, uh, you know, operational in, in, in running cake. Because I, I mean, 2016, that was, there weren't any electric motorbike companies except like Upco, I guess at that point. And even then they, they, they were very, you know, they were still doing like prototype vehicles. It wasn't. Uh... Yeah, I think that the first bikes I actually got, they were Australian bikes from, from Stealth. Uh, okay. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But those were like pedal bikes, right? Like they, they had a. They, they... Yeah, they, but they they had proper motorbike without pedals as well. And then Kuborg, uh, Czech company, was already on the stage as well. Uh, I, you know, soon got an Alta. We had, you know, Ceros. We had. Uh, uh, there was a number of and, and a lot of you know very small brands. Uh, guys being you know great at welding stuff and just getting stuff together, put a, putting a logotype on it, and then getting it out there. So. Uh, uh, it was a very, and I'd still, I mean, even though there are tons of competition these days, with not at least Chinese companies just, you know, pushing out, yeah. you know, uh, big volume, uh, uh, less qualitative, I, I would say, uh, stuff. But I'll, anyhow, things are happening fast. Yeah. And talk me through where you've got to, because you've now got, I mean, I was just on the website, you've got like an entire, <laughs> the, there, there are so many different models. I mean, they're, they're based on a couple of like core models, and but then now you've got all the special editions and everything that you do. Like, talk yeah. me through where you've got to in terms of the how how you think yeah. about the the models and how they break down. So basically, I think that you know we have kind of embraced what we're doing and the offering in a way that you know the Suzuki's and the Kawasaki's and the Yamaha's of the world would, would never do because uh, what we do is basically uh, you know uh, supporting the climate aspect of things uh, with what what. You know, but but you know, working against what we think is the you know, the biggest enemy when it comes to the climate, which is basically our pace of consumption. We buy too many things too often that ends up being crap before we know it. So what we try and do is to extend life cycles, and extending life life cycles are you know it's basically built on four pillars on our side, which is purpose, innovation, performance, and physical quality. All those four parameters need to come together. And again, looking at what we do, I would embrace our, our, you know, what we do with saying that it's all about off-road and utility. Okay, so how does that come together? Because it's not natural, again, speaking about the Kawasaki's of the world. Well, we need to understand what it takes to jump a bike 30 meters and do a double flip when it comes to material, construction, making, and so forth. All of that can be implemented in bikes meant to, you know, for urban use, whether it's commercial business to business last mile delivery or whether it's commuting. So all in all, it's all about making sure that we do support the extended life cycle. And in that that said, I'd say that there's no way, you know, there, there's no there's no shortcut here. We know that quality would always mean more expensive products. Our duty in that sense, because we don't want to exclude anyone, is to make sure that we have finance you know, financial solutions and tools and what, whatever so we can support the ability for people to use our bike. So there's a variety of different things. You know, you can buy it cash, of course, if, if that's your choice. Uh, you know, there's leasing, there's rent, there is subscription and and, and so forth. So again, it's our 
you know, it's 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 making sure that we do promote that the the, the the durability of things, extending life cycles, meaning high quality and higher prices, but making sure that people can afford that based on the different the palette of different you know payment solutions that we have, or I'd say user solutions, because it's not only about payment; it's again subscription or rent or whatever it might be. Totally. I, I want to come back to the subscription part of the business in, in a second, because I, I, but I want to start first with, so you've got these, you've got these different models. You, in terms of distribution, you've gone entirely, uh, like my sense was having talked to the team in the US, you, you have like, you've held on to as much of the supply chain all the way down to distribution and retail as, as you can. And that's how we do it for North America and, and, uh, and Europe. And uh, we've held back on 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 uh, you know getting into Asia uh, for a long time, and it was actually myself being stubborn about the fact that we need to mature in our home markets, being Europe and North America, until we you know start knocking on the door to Asia. But what started to happen a year and a half ago was that we had all of these premium, high quality Asian companies wanted to do business with us, so we kind of said, let's try a partner, you know. Uh, or, you know, a partner opportunity or, or path to, together with these companies. Uh, and that has since then really accelerated our, our initiatives in Asia. So that's, and I would like to say, I didn't really answer your, 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 your question before speaking about the different models we have. We have five platforms and they all come, you know, in different versions to support a vast number of, of, of different demands depending on on jurisdiction. So in some countries, you know, you need to have a driver's license for this, but not that. Some countries you need 15, 16, or 18, and vice versa. In some, you know, like in New York, you need to have pedals on a motorized two-wheeler to be able to park on the sidewalk. Same thing in London if you want to ride in, in bus lanes or taxi lanes and so forth. So the variety is, is basically to make sure that there's anything from a moped, you know, do 25 k's per hour, who you know, being used for anyone who's 15 years and older, to you know, a a, a heavy or medium heavy motorbike like a 250 cc with our most recent buck. So again, they all kind of represent different user, uh, you know, needs and perspectives, and also uh, engaging with with uh, regulatory things, which you know differs from 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 market to market. So that's why we've now finalized what we would say is is a, is a full line of products to to be able to support our customers up there. Yeah, yeah. So, so jump back there a bit because I, I realized I didn't answer your question. No, no. Hey, well, look, that that's a really that's really useful. Um, the yeah, I mean, that I got a I got a chance to write the Kulk, the so the bigger so it's like a big. I mean, it is. It's like it feels like a one two five or a two fifty cc motorbike. Yeah. And I was riding it around in Santa Monica and it was, I was struck by one because most of the electric motorbikes that I had tried until that point had been moped limited, like in terms of they'd go up to 30 miles an hour or 50 kilometers an hour. Yeah. And all of a sudden this thing's just got like, it's just got power. Like it's got power all the way up. Yeah. And the big wheels obviously help from a geometry perspective to just feel like you're, you're up higher and feel kind of very comfortable in the road. And then you have the the smaller bikes, the Osas and the, uh, and yeah. uh, the Muckers and stuff. Which again, those feel the one bit that I was struck by going to your point around, um, you know, the the the, thing, the things that you know that you you can control is the, the physical quality was amazing. Like it was, a, they are beautifully built bikes and really really high quality. And you've clearly gone for, I mean, you look at your price points. You start at six thousand euros, you know, five thousand euros, six thousand euros for for sort of relatively 
like bikes that you know you 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 in theory could go and find a moped for a thousand euros or two thousand euros or something like this but it's yeah, they're just yeah, yeah. You're, how do you think about it from a positioning perspective no it's all about again making sure i know i know you know to me uh, i think that the aspect of premium again embraced according to to how i put it which is purpose innovation performance and physical quality that's the big, biggest contribution you can do to the climate because again that's the only way we can extend the life cycles, fighting the pace of consumption. Because again, without pointing at any specific competitor, average lifetime for a you know a moped or a motorcycle in the electric space is you know between three and four years, mm-hmm. and we need to support the ability to use these bikes eight, ten, twelve, fourteen years. Mm-hmm. And with the the way we have developed the the the, the concept behind these different you know. Uh, platforms is, is is on a modular basis. Think Lego. Yes. So we can actually build from a platform whatever, you know, bespoke or customizing need someone would have. And with that extended life cycle, we also see how, you know, uh, the same vehicle might be used by three or four different user types over its, uh, its lifetime. So one bike might end up being used by a parent, you know, taking two kids to school in the morning. And then that same vehicle is being used by, you know, a guy delivering pizzas. And third generation might be a carpenter or whatever. And then all of these bikes are being bespoken with different attachments and so forth. So it's all about making sure that there's an ongoing revenue. And also, as everything has been developed from scratch, there's nowhere else where you can go go and buy your spare parts. Might might sound cynical, but it's our way of actually complying with the users over time and having a continuous sustainable business related to the extended life cycle as well. Because in you know what has been going on the past hundred years in 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 the Western world is actually deliberately limiting the life cycle of stuff, whether it's a washing machine or a you know a stove or whatever it might be. Normally, you know, at you know seven to to eight years, uh, which is you know deliberately done to make sure that there's an ongoing pace buying new. In our case. Uh, the idea is to extend that, but uh, being able to serve that same vehicle over time uh, by, you know, making sure that consumables and spare parts and connectivity updates and service at the distance or whatever is something that is an ongoing relation. So uh, I'd say that that um, to me, the, the, this is the only way of making sense in respect to, you know, the planet that we all need to cater for while also being able to do business. Mm. M- makes a lot of sense to me. So can you talk through where's the company at now? Like how many how many staff do you have? Uh, how much money have you raised? That sort of thing. We are, we are around two hundred people in in the company, uh, and uh, we're based. Our headquarters is in Stockholm. For so anything that has to do with product development, business development, and you know general uh, high level uh, strategic initiatives, uh, is, is 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 comes you know is being implemented here. And we're around a hundred people here in Stockholm. Then the uh, the uh, we have it's a site by site strategy in North America and Europe, so, or a, a city by city strategy where we have what we define as cake sites. Uh, so there's one in Los Angeles, one in New York, one in Stockholm, one in Milan, one in Paris. So it's it's a city by city strategy, meaning that that uh, we work through this you know with these cities where we build what we you know we we establish. A combination of showroom, retail, test center, and service center, and uh, that also, you know, uh, has kicked in in both Seoul and Tokyo uh, through our new partnership strategy in Asia, and that's where we ended. Before I go back to the bikes, just a couple of minutes ago. Mm-hmm. So what we, what we did basically last time was that we um, 
we we open up for uh, you know the partners in Asia, and uh, initially we signed with a company named Cologne in South Korea, uh, which is an automotive. Uh, I'd say uh, they do anything from Audi to Rolls Royce and and, and BMW and whatnot. Uh, also, you know, uh, a, a large, I'd say, fashion portfolio, which is so they they know automotive and retail. And uh, we opened up, they opened up, uh, up a, a cake site in, in Gangnam just you know, 10 weeks ago. As it goes for Japan, where we ended up with a company named Goldwind. And Goldwind, they're all about, you know, qualitative outdoor sports kind of from, from you know, North Face Purple label and, 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 and to, to Goldwind, their own brand, and, and Helly Hansen and whatnot. Uh, they opened up their first store across from the uh, central station in Tokyo like six weeks ago. And then we've done major deals in 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 in, um, in China together with the company named Shanghai Forever, which is basically uh, a uh, where they're obliged to run our core line of products, but we're also developing a Chinese specific model for China being made by them, uh, and this really mitigates risk for us because again, uh, partners that, that like them and Italica in Mexico, which is of course not not Asia, but similar deal. Where we're, we're developing a Mexico-specific bike, so those two markets will cater for you know uh, both manufacturing and sales in that sense, and and we don't need to you know to worry about you know the the capacity in terms of manufacturing to the same extent as with all of all, all of the other markets that we're in. Totally. So, do you manufacture all of your stuff in in Europe at the moment? Well, so we started manufacturing in Taiwan for for two reasons, both pace as well as 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 quality. I mean, the skill, is in, uh, skill in Taiwan is amazing. 40 years ago, they were, you know, low costs, and all of the European and American companies went there to make bicycles and, and motorcycles and whatnot. But uh, since then, they've been able to, to establish the most amazing quality. Our, you know, uh, take on that right now is that there are geopolitical, uh, you know, worries among investors and shareholders and whatnot. Uh, so we're potentially facing out Taiwan moving towards... Um, uh, Vietnam in the next 18 to 24 months. Right. So uh, that's for global component manufacturing. And then we have uh, assembly uh, close to our, or in on a continental basis. So for Europe, we have assembly south of Stockholm, uh, 20 minutes from our headquarters, uh, serving the European market. And there's the Taichung one serving the US market. And that will uh, then potentially be moved to Vietnam as well. And then we're right now setting up assembly for North America through uh, Italica and Mexico. Mm, amazing. Because the, the Italica deal was amazing, like it, the, just in terms of size. Can you talk through the size element of that? Well, basically, size-wise, uh, I mean, Shanghai is, 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 is the ambition is to get to 150,000 uh, units uh, within the next three and a half years. And, and in Mexico, we're speaking about 50,000. So altogether, those two deals are worth 200 units uh, all in one. And 200 units is is like a, at the average sale price of, uh, what, 5,000 euros. It's like a billion dollars of revenue a year. Uh, you know, I think that these, these these are also, you know, if you start counting and just doing the math, they're, they're vast deals. But uh, it's most likely like taking the Chinese deal, for instance, that we will develop the bike ourselves. The, the IPO belongs to us. We need to have people present that side to make sure that the quality is, is right and so forth. But I think they'll end up being licensing deals. So instead of doing the traditional, you know, and also as their their manufacturing, so basically we'll have you know a fourteen to eighteen percent royalty on the bikes being sold. So 
we will not need to cater for material and inventory and all that, which is an anxiety for, for, for fast growth when it comes to working capital needs. Uh, but, uh, and th therefore it becomes much easier and just, you know, retrieving the, the royalty in that sense, which is then clean money into our PL. So that's how those new layers of, of country specific models is, is basically building our, our, our revenues and the business as a whole. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, that is, that is really, really impressive. And are the bikes, when you say they're developing like a Mexico specific bike, is that going to be a, do you envisage those to be lower cost or? Definitely positioned. Uh, they, 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 we won't, you know, uh, compromise in terms of quality, but due to different, you know, capabilities and and the local know-how, you know, all our, our frames, for instance, is, is you know high quality aluminium at this point. Uh, it might be that we end up making steel frames, not compromising in steel quality, but you know, more from a labor perspective. That's the competence that there is in the country. So I think there'll be, you know, there'll be rational shortcuts that will cut the price you know somewhat uh but the intention and of course those bikes will be at you know the our entry level price we won't be you know developing a chinese specific bike might end up being you know three thousand euros rather than 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 three and a half or four thousand euros which is the current entry price for Makka. but they still be up there you know among the, the the more expensive products within that specific market yeah that makes sense to me that makes sense to me and in terms of funding, like, did you, I'd love to hear the journey that you've been on in terms of how you've managed to keep the company funded throughout that journey, because I, and I, and I want to give the context as well, which is just, yeah, you know, hardware is hard people, you know, it's been a challenge, I think for a lot of hardware companies to get themselves funded. Yeah. But I'd love to hear how you did it. Yeah. I think that, um, it, it's not, it hasn't, you know, without, you know, uh, claiming that I've had a harder, you know, uh, or tougher challenge than, than anyone else. But speaking about hardware in general, I'd say that uh, the VC companies of the world, they've had, they've had such a strong focus on, on, on software and, and, and uh, uh, you know, tech-related uh, perspectives. And I think that uh, without knowing this, but, but I think that... that uh, Back in the days when, when Elon Musk was, you know, uh, rhetorically asking the question, uh, what's, what's Tesla? Is it hardware or is it software? I'd say that that was a way of actually, uh, you know, promoting the, the aspired perception among the, the, the VC guys because they were only investing in, 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 you know, in tech companies and software. But a car is a car and a motorcycle is a motorcycle. We will always utilize you know, the, the, the latest technology if we want to be, you know, um, in, in front, uh, no matter what. So in that sense, I'd say that uh, we need to uh, uh, to be able to identify and use and implement the best technology that there is, but still, you know, the qualities in the riding, uh, everything related to connectivity aspects of, and so forth, in the end is something that we just need to make sure that we grow in pace with, you know, you know the, the front line when it comes to to development, but it's not us. There are other guys that should be you know uh, the greatest ones in terms of if it's safety, rider safety, and radar solutions. It's potentially Garmin doing that. Let Garmin do it, and let us you know utilize and use whatever Garmin is doing in that sense. Uh, there are certain things that 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 have been you know challenging when it comes to being a hardware company due to what uh, the market has been been uh, preferring or prioritizing. Uh, but anyhow, I, I think that um, 
of course, I have you know been able to benefit from my previous journey with with Talk, uh, the protection company, as as that uh, ended up being a successful international and, and you know uh, journey. And uh, I'd say that uh, it's a bit easier the second time being an entrepreneur when you're out there raising money that there's something behind you, which is has proven to be successful. Yeah. And uh, how much money have you are you able to share? How much money you've raised publicly? Yeah, at this point, I think that we've raised uh, about eighty-five million US dollars. Yep, and that's been. Who have you ended up raising that from, and how? And what was that like? Like, what points did you end up saying we can raise? Like, how 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 long did you take between when you got the first prototype and you're like, I think this is going to be a thing, and and you go, okay, cool, we're going to raise, and then I, I had a bit of money uh, myself uh, initially. Uh, but I did the first fundraise in 2017, and I brought in $2 million. Then uh, a year later, in 2018, I brought in $3.5 million. Then I did a first fundraise, the A round, that was $14 million. Uh, and then I brought in uh, $50 million uh, in 2021. And then... Uh, there's another convert which is is in, in action, which is you know uh, around fifty million dollars at this point. So that's the kind of you know, uh, and then we have a bit of depth that at depth that actually you know what's that seven million US dollars. So yeah. all in all, that's how it's been. You know, so pretty much with you know a, a average eighteen to twenty months. Um, uh, interval be- between the different races. Now we're looking to do a C round, which ought to be our, our last round before IPOing or before, uh, you know, uh, becoming cash flow positive yeah. and not uh, needing additional funding. And in terms of the the funds, I mean, have they been predominantly for expansion of 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 uh, distribution, et cetera? Like, or have they? Have you been? I guess my question is, what would be the percentage of funds that you'd be spending on R and D and new products versus, you know, the existing ops and expansion of of distribution? I'd say it's it's it, it differs because again, now we have our five five platforms, and uh, now uh, most of the the money will be, you know, on on go to market initiatives uh, that you know raised. So, uh, you know, the first couple of years, it was, you know, 100% product development. And then you get, you know, you start, you know, knocking on the door to the market. And then that kind of grows. And again, even though we, we do partnerships in Asia now, we're going to need to build an organization in Asia to comply with our partners out there when it comes to training and support and, and you know, just making sure that they get the, you know, the, the needed material, whether it be marketing material or whatnot. So, and then developing their their, their country specific bikes and some of those countries and so forth. So, but all in all, I think that we've gone from heavily, you know, being very heavy on product development, uh, and and emerging towards you know becoming heavier on on, on the go to market side of things. Yeah, amazing. Look, I'm I'm very conscious of time. I know we uh, we we uh, we needed to get this uh, this done, and, and unfortunately, we we don't we've, we've kind of run out of time. But I, I just wanted to check in. Are there anything anything else that you think that uh, that listeners who wanted to listen in, uh, who were listening in, they 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 know Stefan Itterborn, they've seen the they've seen the bikes, they think they're beautiful. Any any words of encouragement that you have to anybody who wants to build in this space? I think that uh, be you know stubborn. Don't listen to the others because again, 
Uh, I think that one of our biggest uh, benefits has been that we were not motorcycling geeks from the beginning. We came in, understood uh, the infrastructure changes happening uh, together with uh, you know the eagerness of doing something different and not being burdened by you know a, a backpack of heritage where you know the do's and don'ts that has been done before you can't do that and this will never work and so forth. You know the, the level of liberation in not being you know infected by all those you know do's and don'ts is potentially uh, you know something that we have benefited from. So. Why am I, I saying that? Well, uh, even though you're you're not perfectly, you know, aligned with what used to be, believe in yourself and uh, you know, uh, let you know, let your heart and brain in combination lead your way forward. Uh, you'll make it. I love that. Uh, don't listen to you know that you weren't motorcycling geeks. So the 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 one final thing I'd love just having watched a bunch of interviews with you is that the. You know your your design is so different, right? That they're, they're like big modular bikes, and when they use the tubular frames, and they're very different in terms of their design. Can you just share one little snippet of like how you've thought about what what, what that's meant for you, not being a motorcycling geek, in terms of how you've built your bikes? Yeah, no, but to me, I, I, you know, my inspirations, uh, you know, same thing when I started Pocket Helmets and all that. We also, you know, somehow launched a new typology, and I think that. I didn't do. I've been in skiing throughout my whole career, so it's not that I was new to that to the space. But I'd say that in the sports space of things, everyone is looking at what Nike and Adidas does, and that's what they kind of you know repeating. Same thing on the motorcycling things. Uh, you know, people are looking at either if they if they're sculptors, they're looking at that for what for what Vespa does, or if it's just motorcycle, it's all about the KTM center who's corners the door and whatnot. In our case. My inspiration is is rather you know contemporary art or architecture or whatever it might be when it comes to color, shape, and structure and so forth. So I, I think that not being uh, you know being free in that sense is, 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 is and being able to trust yourself and your own kind of references uh, without you know compromising in terms of quality and performance because that is crucial. So that's I, I merge my perspectives in terms of, of uh, you know uh, again bringing something, a new category of bikes, you know, that uh, has a, a, a new typology to them. Uh, to me, that's, you know, that's the only way I could do it. I would, I couldn't do it as, you know, I, you know, in a different way. So totally. Well, it's so, it's so funny. It's, it's so funny. Cause I, I still even today, right? Like it's kind of mad to me that we're, we're still, I don't know, five, eight years into this, into this journey of kind of electrification, especially these two wheelers. Yeah. And you still can't buy a Yamaha or a Suzuki or like, they just haven't gone there yet. The incumbents have still yet to go there. So, I mean, in some ways you have to go differently to all of the others. Otherwise you'll, you'll, you'll You'll never build anything, but uh, yeah. any insight on why that is? By the way, no, I think it's it's the challenge with the current you know players and and the guys that have been been around on the motorcycle side for long because they have this challenge of you know having to communicate and address the current market you know uh, and 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 that market is is, is a you know they're, they're mainly gasoline geeks uh, without you know any without bashing you know uh, it's like they have their culture and and uh you know there's a, a big suspicion when it comes to electric and uh uh it it's it's being viewed as something which is like oh is it really the real thing and so forth and and uh so that's holding the, their market the current market you know base uh 
you know, to, uh, to, to on one side of the fence where they need to support that. And at the same time, they need to, you know, launch something which is because everything will be electric actually or hydrogen. Yes. Actually. Yeah. So uh, uh, the combination then of, of, of both, you know, speaking to the, the, the current uh, market together with addressing new sustainability oriented people and so forth, uh, not willing to listen to someone who's compromising because they're into the, the combustion, you know, air or, or, or business still because they can't switch from one day to another. So it says there's this this uh, a hybrid between uh, the old and and the new, and uh, I think that that makes them nervous. They're really you know uh, you know not not you know daring in terms of. Uh, I think they're extremely uh, worried about you know uh, failing. Yes, and that, that's that's keeping them back. I think it's keeping them back, and I think it's also a scary like a like. A... It makes them hugely vulnerable because they're they're unwilling to walk into that. I mean, it's classic innovators' dilemma, right? It's like they're 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 going to hold on to this for for so long that by the time the new model comes around, they won't be equipped to be able to handle it. Anyway, this is all speculative. And uh, I look, I just want to say thank you so much for your time. It's uh, it's so fascinating. And 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 uh, for folks who do want to track you down, ridecake.com uh, is where you can uh, check out the bikes and. Um, Stefan, I'm, lo I'm looking forward to having you back on in the future. I'd love to have further discussions with you and I'm um, sure that we can uh, uh, manage that at some point. But Anytime. I, I, I'm actually looking to come and visit you because, uh, you know, it's still on my, my in my bucket list. And not that oh, marvelous. getting to ride with you down there. So Please do. Well, yeah, I would love, I would love that. We'll, we'll go out and uh, explore all over the country. Fantastic. See you. Cool. Okay. Bye.